0: This is Wayne again. During our recordings, we pause to engage dialogue with the audience and are including those questions and answers here. I want that dialogue to continue. So if you have questions for me about the material you've heard here, please use the contact page at Livestream to send them to me. And I'll try to answer as many as we can and add those answers here in the future. Thank you.
1: My name's Steve. I stand, hi, uh, and and when we're talking about fear, and one of the things that I, know I wrestle a lot with is um, the fear that, you know, the self-deception thing that you're talking about. You mentioned Philippians too, you know, about how that is, is being afraid of that you're, you know, you're just playing games with God or whatever. So, it's kind of, How do you deal with that, you know, because you, you're in the middle of that as, as you're working, through, working out through your salvation, you know, and that fear thing is really real and it's really there and it's really affecting how you live.
0: Yeah, and particularly if you've been in religious settings that have exacerbated those fears and really motivated us, that behavioral conformity thing on fear, I think when you start hearing that God's love and that love's engaging and that God will transform you more in love than he will in fear, I I, I would answer it this way, and I know we'll talk more as this story unfolds, but it's not just a change of thinking that we implement. I I know, you know, as a set of principles I followed. now I'm going to get a new set of principles, I'm going to follow those. I think learning to live love is a revelation of the spirit in our lives. It's that Romans 8, 15, heart crying out, Abba. It's, it's the knowing inside and then God dismantling our fear over time. I don't think it's something, it's not like an on-off switch and we just switch it off. It's the more we learn to live love, the greater our freedom in his love becomes and the more our fears begin to fade away. And so I, to answer your question, I don't think there's a great answer. Do these three things and you'll be fine. But I think as you learn to live in the love of the Father, you'll find... That growing affection towards him and endearment, and then the lack of needing to be afraid and lacking to have any confidence in that fear, and eventually you just don 't even have it anymore, so it just kind of fades away
1: and i know i 've been conditioned to think really condemn myself because i haven 't engaged God enough in the day i haven 't engaged the father enough, and I know one thing that has helped me some is that rather than condemning myself, thinking that he was with me the whole time, even though I'm not there yet with him all the time, you know, but he was still with me, right next to me. So it does help me to, to just have a different point of view on that. Yeah,
0: measuring our spiritual journey on quote-unquote how much time we engage yeah. God is a very false way to do it. We, we engage God in the whole of our day, sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not. Right. It's not a matter of us earning this by working our way into it, it's, it's a matter of letting him win us into a relationship that bleeds into the whole of our life. Hi, Chris Bishler. Hi, Chris. Uh, I was wondering about the Old Testament to the New Testament as far as that God never changes. We know that. But did people change? Is that why? I mean, because we know that he waits for the right times because it's a continuous revelation of his love. Was it that he decided at that time people were now ready to see Christ? Um, Partly. I think what we're going to see in this story, and this will, this will flesh out over the time to come, is that it's not God growing up in this story it's humanity growing, right, in story. so we grow. So God, yeah, and God couldn't download everything about Him on Abraham. So God gives a bit to Abraham, a bit more to Moses, a bit more, and then finally culminates it in Jesus. And then you got the early church working that out. So we will answer that more. I don't think it's God changing. I don't think it's necessarily us changing. I think it's society growing up enough that we can, that God can keep downloading into our experience more and more of who He really is at a time where it wouldn't be hurtful to us. That so there is, there's a process of God making himself known. And we'll see that clearly in scripture. That this is being revealed, and then this is being revealed, and he's adding pieces to a puzzle throughout the whole of it. That's why it's dangerous to see it as a law book. So the Genesis scripture has the same weight as a, as a Matthew scripture. Because, well, we didn't understand everything about God here. Their view was very, very limited about God. Here, there's a fuller understanding of who God is, so we're getting a better picture. doesn't mean that's untrue. It just needed to be added to it.
1: Mary Jo, a comment uh, about the fear and trembling. And it's one that I've thought about for some time, that um, you could also read that verse as fear and tremble to work out your own salvation. We can't do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to read it. That works too. God is the one that's working in us. Yeah, in fact, Paul says at one point, I came to you with great fear and trembling, which is Mm -hmm. a real humility and really, yeah, it's not so much that I'm, yeah, that's great. I like that. I'm Ryan Sweeney. Um, going back to your very first uh, scripture there, the Timothy one, where he talks about all scripture is good for rebuking, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's that capital S scripture. Um, uh, I guess just lately I've been thinking, well, it, did they really have, uh, in, in Paul's time, was that really all the New Testament stuff that prevalent? Or is he reading from the Old Testament? Or is he saying all scripture... Not necessarily what's in those 66 books, but whatever else is available. Uh, I don't know. If, uh... Yeah, certainly he wasn't talking about the New Testament canon because it wasn't comprised yet. So, no, he wasn't talking about that. Uh, but what he is talking, but, but Peter, in Peter's letter, Peter talks about the as scriptures that Paul's writing. So he alludes to that and scripture we'll look at later. So there was a sense during that time that some of these books being written could be, might be, would be scriptures. We don't know. But when Paul's using that, yeah, it's, it's small ass. There are no capitals in the Greek. So when we capitalize him and fear him, that's, an, that's a translator doing that. There are no capitals in, in the Greek to determine which hymns are God and which hymns refer to humanity or the enemy or someone else. So even all that is interpreted by translators. And So I think even a capitalized scripture, what is Paul talking about? I, I can accept that scripture as applying to the canon as we have it now, because I think that's been pretty well affirmed to be that scripture of the New Testament on par with the old, But certainly Paul in his day would not have been referring to that exact canon. Some of it wasn't even written at that point when he's writing 2 Timothy. Um, I'm Cheryl. Hi Um, Cheryl. I don't remember the last quote, it was by a priest. I don't know if he said something about loving self, but you said self-love. Is that good or bad? Uh, You know, it depends on how you define it. Jesus talks about loving your neighbors you love yourself and I, I really would rather avoid that conversation okay. self-love can be a good thing if you if you hate yourself and you come to a place of you know self-love to you means becoming relaxed in who I am and appreciating what God appreciates about me that can be a great thing when I was using it I was using it in a very negative context of being selfish and putting yourself first and, you know, that whole self-love thing where we get lost. So I, I was using it in a negative sense. Okay. I don't fight with people who use it in a positive sense. So that's why it's, it all depends how okay. you define the term. I'm Angie. I don't have my question fully formulated, but I keep thinking that um, going back to the the fear him verse or, or other things like that. Like I can, I can listen to you or someone else and think, gosh, that makes a lot of sense. But then I have some fear that comes in after that of, I don't like what I think the scripture means. So I'm going to, I'm going to take that capital H and I'm going to make it a small H. And then I like what it means. And so I guess my, my question being like, I guess it's an interpretation question. Yeah, how do and you know I, that you're getting the right interpretation when you right. do those things? I mean, you just choose the one that's easiest for you or the one that sounds <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And I think that's a danger. That's why I talked about you know, creating yeah. God in our own image is a danger that we all have in this journey. Mm-hmm. I think what informs us as to how to interpret Scripture is Scripture. Mm-hmm. If I make that big H him. Does that stand the weight of the rest of the scripture as I'm reading it? And to me, it clearly does not stand that test. It's not what I like or prefer. It's if I make it a capital hymn, Is that When Jesus even goes on and talks about the Father caring for the birds and the flowers, does it even fit in the first context? No, it doesn't. Does it fit in the larger context of what Jesus was showing us about the Father? No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm very comfortable saying it's a small H, and it's talking about either sin or the devil, and I'm comfortable either way. Mm -hmm. We're going to learn that. I think part of learning the Scripture as a story gives you a basis to make those determinations rather than just I like this way and I don't like that way because that's a poor way to interpret, obviously. Right.